0: I'm joined again by Dan Herms. He's vice president of research and development for the Davy Tree Expert Company in Kent. And Dan has been on the show many times. Today, we're talking about something that I'm fascinated with, the American chestnut tree. Dan, tell us a little bit about the history of the American chestnut.
1: Well, good morning, Doug. It's great to be with you again. Uh, the American chestnut um, at pre-settlement times was one of the most dominant trees in eastern North America, kind of ranging from eastern Texas, Mississippi, all the way up through the Appalachia into, into New England. One of the largest trees in eastern North America. Uh, fast growing, the wood uh, very resistant to decay, so it was prized for timber, and also um, ecologically very important for the nut crop, a very predictable mast of chestnuts that were produced every year that would support wildlife and um, you know consumed by humans and so forth. So chestnut was a very important tree economically and ecologically in Eastern North America. And then chestnut blight was accidentally introduced to North America. Fungus disease uh, was first noticed in 1904 in New York City at what's now the Bronx Zoo and it was introduced with some Japanese chestnuts from Japan and this fungus disease spread rapidly through eastern North America and uh, by mid-century it had eliminated mature chestnuts from the forest and um, kind of interestingly the blight doesn't typically kill the root system. And so you get these sprouts, and and these can be fairly common today. Kind of these scrubby little sprouty chestnut trees in the eastern forest. But once they start to get some diameter, the you know the fungus then kills those sprouts again. And so there's kind of this perpetual state of shrubby sprouts that die back and then re-sprout in the forest. So
0: I've seen the Little sprouts in the forest, but I've been told there are some you know mature specimens somewhere that have survived. Have you ever seen one? Have you ever seen one of the big ones anywhere?
1: I have so I've seen uh, large trees in Michigan. I think my understanding is most of the large surviving trees are grow have were planted and are growing outside the natural range of chestnut, and so they've kind of have escaped the disease and so there's you know trees that i've seen in the upper peninsula of michigan um it's a pretty famous stand in wisconsin but there are there are some um trees large trees in in within the native range of chestnut that have somehow escaped and they may it may be that they're naturally resistant and so there is you know work underway with those trees to uh, you know, evaluate if they are in fact naturally resistant, and and use those in in breeding programs. We're breeding North American chestnuts to to develop uh, resistant varieties to use in restoration of the the forest.
0: I mean, it's such a beautiful wood when you see like here in Pittsburgh. I will go into older buildings and I will see it used all over. I, I my understanding was it was an easy wood to work. It was a straight wood, and oftentimes a very beautiful wood. So what are some of the things that are being done to bring this tree back? And do you think it's going to be able to come back?
1: Yeah, well, good question. So, um, yeah, it is beautiful. And, you know, you find these old antique of uh, drawers and things made out of chestnut and so forth, uh, just beautiful, beautiful grain. But uh, yeah, so this work's been there's work been going underway way for a while to develop trees with resistance, with the goal of restoring chestnut to the eastern forests of the United States. And so the American Chestnut Foundation has played a uh, a central, perhaps decentral role in this this effort. And one approach that they've used with some success is um, crossing or hybridizing American chestnut with uh, Asian species, like the Chinese chestnut, which has natural resistance. So the the, ch- the chestnut species in Asia are naturally resistant because they co-evolved with the fungus and they have natural resistance. And just as an aside, I'll say this is a uh, reoccurring thing Phenomenon. So we get an invasive species that is introduced to North America, be it a disease or an insect. The North American species have no history with it, no resistance, and they experience mortality across their range. And so chestnut blight was probably the, the first. Then we had Dutch elm disease, hemlock woolly adelgid, and the hemlock trees. Um, most recently emerald ash borer and the ash trees. So it's kind of the same phenomenon, but yeah. So going back to the American chestnut foundation and the hybridization project. So crossing the resistant Asian species with the susceptible North American species, and then they back cross the offspring to, um, uh, so that they get a genotype that's almost pure North American with the resistance genes from the Asian species just uh, captured in a small part of the genome. So they can get a species that's well over 90% North American with uh, just a small percentage of the, the Asian genome provides the resistance. So the resistance is due to just a few genes. And, um, and so they... These have been planted, thousands of these have been planted, these hybrids. They've they've, they've used them in strip mine reclamation. Um, I've read even that, that that one was planted at the White House. So, you know, this is an ongoing effort. Um, I mentioned the crossing of the American chestnuts, the surviving American chestnuts, the American chestnut um, Cooperative Foundation, I believe it's called, the ACCF, is leading that effort. And then there's a third effort, which is um, creating genetically modified chestnuts that have resistance to the chestnut blight. So let's talk a little
0: bit about that. You know, whenever you bring up GMO, people get freaked out. They, They worry about it. Is there a reason to worry about a GMO chestnut tree?
1: GMO plants are definitely controversial, no doubt about it. And so the concern is that the um, the genes, you know, will escape into the uh, wild type populations and change the ecology. Um, now, GMO plants are widely planted as crops. Almost all the corn, for example, and soybean in the United States is genetically modified, but they don't have the native relatives for the uh, genes to escape to. But in the case with chestnut, um, you know, if chestnut is is restored and the genes would escape, that that could cause some unintended ecological. Consequences. Now, the the gene that they're using is a gene from wheat, and the chestnut blight produces an acid. The fungus produces an acid, and this acid uh, is damaging to the cells of the chestnut tree. The vascular system causes a, a cankering, and so that's how the the tree is damaged by the fungus. This wheat gene produces an enzyme that degrades that acid and makes the tree tolerant of the fungus by disarming it. And so that's the approach. And they've been working, the State University of New York, um, College of Environmental Science and Forestry, has been working on these genetically modified chestnuts for some time. And there's a cultivar called Darling 58, that they have been um, working on. And the American Chestnut Foundation had been evaluating um, this, this cultivar. Um, but recently, like just late last year, the American Chestnut Foundation decided to no longer support that research or the petition to the USDA to uh, plant this tree into the wild. And it was also about that time, it was found out that the, there was a kind of a mix up in the identification of the cultivar and that the cultivar that the American Chestnut Foundation had been evaluating was actually one called Darling 54 and not Darling 58. It wasn't performing well. And um, for various reasons, they decided to no longer support that project. My understanding is the State University of New York College of Environmental Science and Forestry is still pursuing a permit with the USDA APHIS, the Animal Plant Health Inspection Service, that regulates um, genetically modified plants, among other things. So, if it's approved, it would be the first native tree to be released into the forests of North America.
0: So, I want to go back to the hybridization. Cause I don't understand what back crossing is. Is there a way to explain it to just to a regular homeowner, how they create that, how they do that back crossing?
1: Yes, I'll try. And I am not a geneticist, Okay. but basically, um, and you know, the same thing is done with other crop plants, hybrid corn and, um, You you take two parents, you mate them, you take their offspring. And then, if you have an American chestnut and a Chinese chestnut, that offspring will be 50% American, 50% Chinese, right? They take that offspring and then mate that with another American chestnut. Then you'll have an offspring that. Can be seventy-five percent American and twenty-five percent, and then you take that tree that's twenty-five percent Chinese and mate that with another American chestnut, and you keep diluting the uh, Asian genes.
0: Yes, I get it. You you explained it yeah. very well.
1: <laughs> yeah, so that that's kind of how that works. And then they screen, you know, those offspring and, and select, you know, the superior ones for the continued breeding.
0: I've seen some of the forests with the, uh, the hybrids. How are they doing? I mean, they're they making progress, right? I mean, they're getting some decent sized trees.
1: My underst- I have not actually ever seen them in the, in the wild, but my understanding is that they're performing well.
0: The ones I've seen, they were actually up on chestnut Ridge, believe it or not <laughs> in PA and they had, uh, Serious fencing around that because the deer and the bears mm-hmm. actually want to go after the the trees as soon as they put on their uh, their fruit. And so, ah,
1: well that that makes sense. The nuts are delectable.
0: It just must have been so tragic in so many ways when that chestnut blight came in because so many, so much of the economy revolved around chestnut trees you know they say the 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 wood that took you from cradle to grave uh you know i've, I've read these stories where people when it would the chestnut would bloom they would look up on the mountains and, and you know it blooms late it blooms in in the summer and you'd look up mm-hmm. there and you'd, they'd say it looks like snow on the mm-hmm. on the ridges that's how uh prevalent there and then i've I read one other story where george washington was crossing Chestnut Ridge, and he had to get off his horse because there were so many uh, leftover chestnuts and the uh, the shells and the uh, all that that he, the horse couldn't walk on it. So those are the fables yeah. I've heard, anyway.
1: Yeah, well, it was a, it was a dominant species, uh, you know, for sure, especially in um, you know particular habitats like the moist, well-drained, slopey acidic soils, um, yeah, spec, you know, spectacular tree. I've, I've just seen like the old black and white photographs of these huge majestic uh, chestnuts with, um, you know, people standing in front of them for scale. Just, you know, they're just, they're huge. They're, they're like something you'd see in the Pacific Northwest. So what do you think
0: for the future? I mean, from a scientist's point of view. Uh, you know, from my point of view, I'm just like, I'm just so hopeful. And you know, I figure with with all this great work being done, that you know, probably not in our lifetime, but eventually that tree might come back. From a scientist's point of view, what do you, what do you think?
1: Well, I'm you know, I'm hopeful, um, and I'm hopeful that you know that it that it, that it can be a model because you know we have these increasingly devastating invasive species and i mentioned a few but there's others too the red bay ambrosia beetle and its um, associated disease beech bark disease beach bark scale balsam woolly adelgid you know that are have killed their host plants on a range wide basis and i think host plant resistance because that the lack of host plant resistance is the problem. Bio Biological control, like what they're trying with emerald ash borer, I think, um, you know, has, has a place, but, um, you know, when you plant susceptible North American species in Asia, they, they get wiped out by these organisms, even though the biological control agents are, are present. So, you know, if we can have a a successful resistance breeding program that leads to restoration of a, um, a dominant species in the American forest, that that would be a great thing. It hasn't happened yet, but I'm hopeful that, that it will.
0: Well, we're both hopeful. And as always, thanks for explaining it to us from a scientist's point of view, always great to talk to you and, I know we'll be talking again soon.
1: (laughs) Look forward forward to it, Doug, as always.
0: Thanks, Dan. I'd love to see one of those mature chestnut trees. I have never seen one. Now tune in every Thursday to the Talking Trees podcast from the Davy Tree Expert Company. I'm your host, Doug Oster, and do me a big favor. Subscribe to the podcast so you'll never miss an episode. Do you have an idea for a show, a comment? Have you seen a chestnut tree? (laughs) Send us an email to podcasts at davy.com. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-S at D-A-V-E-Y.com. And as always, we'd like to remind you on the Talking Trees Podcast, trees are the answer.